science. You are listening to Love and Science on BCFM with me, Malcolm Love, um, Andrew Glaster, and uh, our regular guest, uh, Jamie Thackra. Hi, Jamie. It's great to have you again. Hello. Thank you for having me back. It's oh, always nice to always visit. Always a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you've agreed to come on sort of on a fairly regular basis. So yes, that's, that's, I have. That's, that's nice. Very nice indeed. And um, have you had a busy week i have actually so i'm actually off to a the biggest neuroscience conference in the world next oh, week um, in california guess. in america yes right. <laughs> it's the society for neuroscience conference so i've just been preparing my presentation for that so ah, it's been a very gonna, busy week <laughs> are you going to be speaking at it no so i'm doing a dynamic poster presentation so it's like a little digital video of my data and i'll be stood next to it and people can come by and visit me at my little station I was wondering what I about have that. to say when people say they're doing a dynamic poster presentation I think they're referring to their style <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm sure it will be as well I'm sure you'll I do it so. I'm sure you'll do it in a d- dynamic way so uh, so that's the SF, SFN yes. in, in uh, America great well have a, have a really yeah, I can't really just good say time. before I got into this whole science communication malarkey well just as I started getting into it scientists uh, were talking to me and talking about these posters right and I was thinking what posters <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> literally are posters yes they literally are posters so this is a new format so normally at conferences they just have a big sheet of a zero poster paper which is actually taller than i am um (laughs) and so um, that's what it's called a zero a zero yeah they're like i can't remember how many meters but they're like 1.8 meters which is taller than me i'm only 1.5 meters yeah um, Yeah. human (laughs) size posters they're big um but this now they're trying to incorporate more digital content so every sort of every 30 posters there'll be a dynamic poster on a screen and mine's one of those oh, okay. so wow fanta- fantastic well sorry say again where it's going to be i know it's in america in san diego oh, in the san diego conference center so you'll so. be able to nip down into mexico I think yeah. it's on the Mexican I would love border, to, but unfortunately it? I don't have time to go down. It's right near Tijuana. Tijuana, yes. So. You can go and drink tequila in the evenings. Yeah. It'd be <laughs> I, think, I think you can drink tequila in San Diego as well. <laughs> oh, oh, you can. It's allowed, it's allowed is it? Right. Okay. I thought you just had to wear a sombrero <laughs> to, to, to drink tequila. Yeah. It's my, my touristy uh, experiences. Um, Andrew, a busy week? Uh, yes. I've been up to Manchester Science Festival ah. just for fun. Yeah. Um, well, to learn some stuff, really. So, good. so what's that like? I mean, some of, some of us know about the Cheltenham Science Festival. It's not so far from here in Bristol, mm. uh, which lasts about a week, and it's pretty much located to most of most of it happens on sort of one site. Is that the same with the Manchester Science Festival? No, it's not. Manchester Science Festival happens across the city, so you right. you kind of it, it happens for the. I think it's this week maybe even into next week as well um, it started last week and it's it, there's just events going on over the whole city yeah. and um, 
there's not a particular place you go. It's sort of centred at Mosey, the Museum of Science and Industry. Yeah. I don't think it's called Mosey anymore. Yeah. Because of some technicality. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I went to two things. One at Mosey, which was uh, Distortions in Space Time, which was a, mm-hmm. an amazing artistic representation of what it might be like to get spaghettified by a black hole. Ooh. That was awesome. Oh, wow. It was really awesome. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, it was so good I wanted to kind of go back to it as I dropped off to sleep last night I was thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna try and dream about that and yeah. I succeeded so I've now achieved dream control which is amazing <laughs> <laughs> and um the other you thing, dream about being spag- spaghettified yes by, by a black hole but that's not feeling. but that's not good that sounds um, more like a nightmare than yeah, a dream yeah I would say um, <laughs> well it depends what reality is like for you and, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the other thing that I saw was to talk about beatboxes beatboxing and singing and how the the vocal uh, apparatus that we have in our bodies work so two very different things i went to yeah. see at the science festival both brilliant one so one was at museum of science and industry the other one was at uh, band on the wall which is an old jazz venue in manchester so yeah completely different things and it just sort of science pops up all over the city it's a great thing love it fantastic there's a lot going on in manchester of course yes yeah. yes yeah. so yeah. it's a it's a it's a great city um I um, was also, uh, Becky and I were also up north, and um, w- but I, I wasn't doing anything scientific. It was just kind of family stuff. Oh, yeah. But I tell you what, I want to find the man who's, or woman who is responsible for the M6. Yes. And, and force them to travel every day mm. up and down the M6 because it's utterly miserable at the moment. Yes, it is. 50 mile an hour. You come out of a, a very, very long sort of 20 mile, 50 mile an hour limit mm. and then you think, ah, oh, wow, great, at last. And you put your foot down and there's another one just mm. a few minutes oh, later. Oh, no, tell me about All it. the way up. i tell you one, I've discovered a thing that you can do, which is if you, if you have a child and then you wait about seven years, you can then give it a games console and then when you're driving, like a handheld thing, yeah. Nintendo 3DS in this case, you're driving up the M6 and then sitting in the seat next to you, you've got a small child playing Super Mario 3D. Yeah. It's awesome because you're getting frustrated by the traffic and you've just got yeah. someone having pure joy next to you. <laughs> it balances it out quite nicely. It's really it's good. good. Well, it yeah. sounds like a really good yeah. plan. Yeah. <laughs> I, try, I try very very hard you know uh, not not to get irritated and annoyed it is it, it is it, I've, uh, of course i know everybody's in the same boat and i try all, all, all kinds of tricks but you know the thing <laughs> I've got, i'm going to do a victor meldrew here <laughs> the, th- the thing that drives me nuts is again, but where are the people that are supposed to be working on oh, this yeah. thing <laughs> why is it empty and it's 50 miles an hour and of course uh, i i realize that's not entirely reasonable if the road's been blocked off but i think you, wow. should, you should be on the uh, bcfm show old gits and hips exactly. <laughs> well you know john ford keeps asking oh me uh, and, and i'm thinking no if i do that i'm admitting <laughs> i'm admitting something deep about myself i don't want to face up to yet yeah. it's funny that you brought up mario kart because i drove for the first time down to, down to dartmoor this weekend uh, with my partner and i've never really driven on that bit of the motorway ever before and there was this horrible really dark patch where it kept switching from 40 to 70 miles per hour. Mm. And I was saying to Rob, this reminds me of Rainbow Road in Mario Kart. <laughs> I said, I'm sure, I'm sure this is the end of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't go off the edge. Don't go off the edge of the road. It's I was like, that's how, actually how I felt. It was so scary. Yeah. Yeah. So I just went at 40 and let people overtake you. Just, you just need one of those red 
turtle things and then you can throw it at the Just other cars. throw it. They'll leave a little banana peel for the people behind me. <laughs> Don't worry about the people behind. It's the ones in front you want to get out of the way. Anyway, this is much silliness. <laughs> much silliness. Let's do, let's do some, some science-y stuff because this is uh, uh, BCFM's premier science programme that goes out on a Monday at 3 o'clock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no better programme than this. Goes the others out are rubbish. Uh, they are. <laughs> they are. Um, and, uh, well, we're going to go to Mercury. Okay. Uh, we've launched a satellite with uh, the Japanese. Mm-hmm. It's, no, it's got a wonderful name, Bepi Colombo. Mm. I lo- it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? That Makes is a great name. Bepi Colombo. I love that name. And um, we're, we're, as I said, working with uh, the uh, Europe... Uh, and uh, the Japanese have collaborated on on this uh, joint and endeavour. It's a rocket type uh, Ariana rocket, and um, it uh, has been launched in South America. Now, uh, let's just because Andrew, I know we always turn to you because you've got a particular interest in uh, in astronomical things. Um, what what is the special problem? with going to mercury is there is there anything i mean i know that going to any other celestial body is a massive technical yeah. achievement we i think we're starting to take that for granted mm-hmm. but, but in fact it's a massive technical achievement but is there anything particularly tricky about going to mercury yes because mercury is as i'm sure everyone's aware very close to the sun relative to us so um if you think about star trek or any real life things um quite often <laughs> <laughs> sorry that just slipped past me that yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll use uh, the, uh, another planet or a sun to um, get a gravity assist. So you'll use the gravity of a planet to speed up your spacecraft, or sometimes to slow it down. And um, if you would, if you think about that, the reason you're doing that, or the reason you can do that, is because that planet, that body, that mass in space, can pull you towards it using its gravity. Yeah. And the biggest mass in our solar system is, of course, the sun. Ah, so if you're travelling towards the right. sun, you're speeding up all yeah. the time. Yeah. All the time, and then it becomes incredibly hard to stop. So the Parker Solar Probe, for yeah. example... Yeah. Has, so uh, this is one that went last month. Yeah, and yeah. that's going to get to the sun. That's going to take two and a half months to get to the sun. Yeah. Because um, it's not going to stop when it gets yeah. there. Right? And uh, Bepi Colombo is going to take seven years. Right. Because it has to necessarily, so that it can slow down and be in an orbit very close to Mercury. Yeah. Slow down sufficiently to get captured by... Uh, Mercury's orbit, yeah. then it has to do a very, very peculiar route, very circuitous route. In fact, such a circuitous route that when it's first gone now, it's going yeah. outside Earth's orbit before yeah. coming back in again yeah. and being pulled back in, first of all by the Earth, then a couple, maybe two or three times by Venus, and then Mercury itself is going to do flybys and get pulled in by Mercury's uh, gravitational pull. Yeah, and uh, I nearly say gravitational well because I'm all excited about black holes at the moment. Yes, yeah, and um, <laughs> uh, and eventually in uh, seven years, so what, 2025, it's right. going to be in orbit around Mercury in in a much closer orbit because Mercury had the Messenger spacecraft that went to it recently from America, and uh, we learnt a lot from that. But because of the orbit, that only took five years to get there. Yeah, and as a result, as a result of that orbit. Is this making sense? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, so it, far, it wasn't able. The, the 
Messenger one wasn't able to stay close enough to Mercury to get a close-up of some of the poles of Mercury, whereas this one is going to be slower when it gets there yeah. and only use a small amount of um, thrust to, st- to get captured within, the, within Mercury's orbit and will be able to get much closer data of the surface. There's actually two satellites. Uh, the Japanese one, I believe, is going to look at the magnetosphere yeah. uh, and the European one is going to look at the surface. The reason being, well, the magnetosphere is really interesting because it's very close to the sun. So the magnetosphere is this thing that in the Earth causes uh, like the aurora borealis. That's right. And that, and that kind of thing. It's yeah. effectively the magnetic field around the yeah. Earth. So Mercury's got one too. Yes, which is fortunate because it does actually have a very, very small um, atmosphere. Yeah, because it's which is being protected by this uh, magnetosphere. Yeah, so, like why would something have an atmosphere that close to the sun? Yeah, maybe that doesn't mean anything. So just the sun lets off these solar winds. Yeah, and blasts stuff out, radiation and stuff out yeah, of yeah. space, and that would strip off the atmosphere, which right. it does. But yeah. because of the magnetosphere protecting it, um, it's still got a very small atmosphere on Mercury. May I ask a naive, naive question? You may. So, what if you once they've launched one of these things? Mm. Do they have any control over it once it's out there, or is it launched and then you just have to hope it's captured by the gravitational force that you want it to? It has thrusters, so you can sort of uh, adjust it if it's not in the course that you want it to. But to a certain extent, yeah, you're reliant on doing your maths before you launch. You can't go, oh, forgot about Venus. (laughs) (laughs) So if it goes off track? Yeah. It's almost a sort of a lost cause at that point. Yeah, if it's gone too far, um, as I say, when it actually gets to Mercury, it's going to use uh, thrusters to get back in uh, into what to get into the orbit that it needs to. So if it, if you can get it, track it early enough, then you can get it back on curse, course early enough. But obviously, you don't want to use all your fuel. Okay, yeah, so that's one of those things. Yeah. Oh, that's um, really interesting. And I was uh, saying to somebody the other day a completely false piece of information. Oh, cool. That which is, as, as is my way, He's you know. spreading fake news. I was spreading, <laughs> I was spreading fake news, which was, I was saying, and, and Mercury is so close to the sun that it doesn't turn. Ah, yeah. But, of course, actually it does, but incredibly slowly, mm-hmm. as, as I understand. But what I was going to say to you, my assumption about Mercury is that because it is so close to the sun, even though it's got a bit of an atmosphere and everything, it must be unbearably hot. I mean, we wouldn't go looking at mercury and thinking well there might be life on it are we uh, no well no we're not there's um there is some ice on uh, buried in in some of the polar that's incredible that close to the sun wow yeah Yeah. like a baked Um, alaska yeah but then if you think (laughs) exactly but if you think it almost exactly like that um you can actually experience what it would be like on mercury don't do this but if you went to into a pizza oven yeah it's the same temperature there or thereabouts 400 degrees c that's how hot it is on one side the the sun side of mercury on the other side it's minus 130 degrees c right so you can see that in between those two points it is possible that there might be a point where there might be a sweet spot Yeah. yeah you know absolutely you know it's funny you said that about uh, assuming that um, Mercury was tidally locked because everybody did assume that. Right. And do you know who discovered that it wasn't? No, Beppe uh. Colombo. Ah, That's so Beppe, this... Beppe Colombo is a person. Yeah, Giuseppe uh. Colombo is a uh, is Italian astronomer, and uh, his nickname was Beppe, and this uh. is named after. Him, so. Fantastic. That's fantastic. So it's not that. just a good name for something; it's somebody's actual very cool name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good old Beppe. Yeah, and. Um, 
sorry to quiz you like this, That's but it's, right. it's, it's, good, it's a good opportunity everything. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so Venus is also so it, it goes in order. Um, there's the Sun. There's this quite small planet, Mercury, really close to it and baking hot. Then Venus is is between uh, Mercury and the Earth, isn't it? Yes. So it's the next orbit. Yes. But actually, I mean, at one time, people thought, well, maybe Venus is a is a is a an occupiable planet. Maybe mm. maybe there is life on, on Venus. But it also turns out to be incredibly hot, doesn't it? Yes, because of the greenhouse effect. Because of ah, uh, it's right. got a so very it's, thick atmosphere. So it's not because it's not particularly because it's so close to the sun, but because of its atmosphere. Yeah, it's, it's get the, the heat is captured and, um, well, almost exactly like a greenhouse um, yeah. is, is increased by that. I mean, you know, it's possible we might do that to our planet. Who knows? Mm. Um, yeah. um, it's, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because Venus is called Venus, the goddess of, after the goddess of love, because they thought it looked like a lovely place. Yeah. And Mars is uh, after the god of war. Yeah, because it it's like all red it. and angry. Yeah, yeah. 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 actually I'd much rather go to Mars than Venus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now we've known more about it. I know. So there's um, people don't know that C. Or a lot of a lot of people don't did, don't know that C.S. Lewis wrote uh, science fiction. He wrote a book about Venus called Perilandra. Oh, right. um, yeah, which is all about going to and discovering uh, civilization on, on on planet Venus. There you go. Well, uh, so this is the story uh, that um, the uh, Bepi. Now, this this fantastic name here, Bepi Colombo um, uh, satellite is uh, being fired off uh, uh, on its uh, five year journey to go and visit the, the planet Mercury. And um, there's another sort of astronomical story. Uh, kind, I, you'll see what I mean when I say sort of, kind of, because the, <laughs> Chin, the Chinese are uh, talking about, or a Chinese corporation is talking about putting up a, a fake moon. Uh, a, a, yes, a fake moon in the sky. Have you seen this story, Andrew? I have. I wish I hadn't. What a bizarre story. Yeah, it's yeah. so weird. I... I I'm, I'm just blown away by the thought that somebody wants to do that. <laughs> What's wrong with them? I mean, it would just be hor- horrible. I would absolutely hate to to look out of my window and see mm. a fake moon. Yeah. In the sky, you know, yeah. so you could never you could never be away from yeah. uh, something artificial. In, I mean, in some ways, I suppose the International Space Station is a bit of a fake moon in that mm. it's something that we created which orbits our planet. But it's and tiny. I don't mind that one. But what we're talking about here is a massive mirror in space that would redirect sunlight onto the city uh, during which city which specifically city Chengdu, I Chengdu. think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at night. So instead of having street lights, they'd have reflected sunlight using yeah. a massive mirror in space. Yeah. So the first thing to say is that the proposal is not for it to orbit the world, no. <laughs> but it's going to somehow stay in what they call a geostationary orbit around uh, over Chengdu yeah. and, and the area. Well, the yeah. first thing to say is don't do it. Yes. <laughs> the second thing to say is that um, I, I think probably the, the necessary question that follows on from that is how easy is that to do, a geostationary orbit? Mm. You, it's possible, yeah. but it's difficult to do it so that the mirror would be exactly right. Yeah. So getting, I think it's probably got an error of something like five kilometres, something like that. Yeah. So you would 
five kilometers is quite a lot isn't it and it's so technically it's going to be incredibly hard to do yeah and even harder to maintain yeah do you know the reason why they're doing it? The reason why they're suggesting you're doing it is because it would be cheaper than powering the, the streetlights. Wow. Which is incredibly odd, right? It, it, it just makes me think, it's an old idea, but why don't we put solar, powers, solar panels in space and use them to power the Earth? Ah. Let's do that. Ah. Yeah. An interesting idea you've got there. Put stuff in space... To reflect the sunlight, why don't we put stuff in space to absorb the sunlight and then use that to power the planet? Mm. I don't get it. Good thinking there. Well, it's enough to make you weep. (laughs) So, you're listening to Love and Science. I hope you know it's great to have uh, your company always on a Monday afternoon. Don't forget, by the way, that um, you can go to uh, the uh, website, uh, bcfmradio.com, and... um, if you look at the schedule, you can download. Well, you can't download, but you can stream um, uh, all the uh, programmes that uh, come out of uh, BCFM. The ex- excellent programmes. Uh, you can look at our whole back catalogue and uh, uh, listen to your heart's content. To us wittering on uh, about science on uh, Monday afternoons. Do you know what else you can do? What you can go to loveandscience.podbean.com and download this very program as a podcast which yeah. many of you know because you're doing that right now indeed <laughs> and uh, and that goes for for all of our programs and the thing about the podbean podcast is that uh, we take the music out not because we don't like the music but just because we know that a lot of you are very busy and you just want to hear the distilled wisdom you know when i speak i know uh, unfortunately we leave andrew's words oh, in right. there but no no sorry i <laughs> chatter about mario kart, <laughs> mario kart and all that stuff. you should make a podcast about Mario Kart. Yeah. <laughs> do that. Go, go, go to the Love and Science Pod, uh, Podbean uh, podcast. Now, uh, one, of, one of the stories, this is an interesting one. This is not a great radio story. I get that. Um, but if you go, if you look up Wildlife Photographer of the Year, uh, you'll be able to see all the pictures that uh, we're talking about. Um, it's uh, been announced at, the, at a gala dinner at London's Natural History Museum um, uh, the winners of Wildlife uh, Photographer of the Year. And uh, the, the, the winner uh, was, uh, by, uh, was somebody called Marcel van Oosten, um, who took a picture of two snub-nosed monkeys which are sitting on a rock and staring intently into the distance. And it's just a beautiful picture with the uh, forest behind them. Have you guys managed to see uh, any of these pictures, uh, Andrew and Jamie? Yeah, I mean, that one is so beautiful. So anyone who doesn't know what a snub-nosed monkey looks like, it's exactly how its name suggests. It's got a squashed little face yeah. and it's got a, these sweet little button noses. Yeah. Um, and they've got blue faces. but orange heads and brown fur on their back so do definitely look this up um, when you have a chance because it really is a gorgeous photograph they're amazing. Uh, Marcel v- uh, van Oosten, uh, who, who won this, uh, went to China's Kinling Mountains and he had to follow the troop 
this, this troop of uh, uh, monkeys, uh, the snub-nosed monkeys, for several days to understand the animal's dynamics and predict their behaviour. His goal was to show in one shot the beautiful hair on a male snub-nosed monkey's back and the creature's blue face, and uh, he managed to do that. Um, he told, uh, and the, the, they were taking this story from BBC, but it's in various places, he told uh, BBC News that he was shocked and honoured uh, to uh, win the competition. And he said, I'm happy it's that it is with this particular image because it is an endangered species and one that very few people even know exists. So uh, there we go. But there are other pictures as well. There's a beautiful one of a lounging leopard. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, and apparently it's a famous local leopard that's really well known because he's oh got right. a broken leg. Oh, um, right. So the name that they've given him, Mathoja, which apparently in the local Bantu language means the one that walks with a limp. And, uh, right. And so this little leopard, yeah, he broke his leg as a juvenile and so he walks with a limp and so he's quite well known in his game reserve and it's a really lovely photo that's actually been taken by a 16-year-old in the junior category for this and he's seen this little lovely leopard just sort of... Yeah, lounging, exactly as you said, looking <laughs> very, very sweet and serene. He is, he's from, and he, he's, from, he's from Botswana, as you mentioned, in, in, in southern Africa. Uh, um, Arship, uh, uh, sorry, Arshdeep Singh has taken a, a picture which um, also, uh, in, in the... 10 years and under category it's called pipe owls it's absolutely beautiful uh, there's a couple of um, uh, owls little owls just sitting in the end of a pipe uh, as, as one would suggest I don't I don't know what 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 kind of a pipe it is but these two little owls are in there um, uh, out just outside of uh, Kapatala uh, a city in the Indian state of Punjab and uh, he said that he had to wait for 20 or 30 minutes because he'd, so he'd saw them going in and he sat there for 20 or 30 minutes and they came out again and he, he, he took the picture. Have any, any of you guys ever tried to take wildlife pictures? Um, it's really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> really difficult. Yeah. The animals just don't stay still for long enough no. to get a nice photograph it's very of thoughtless them. animals, aren't they? <laughs> they are, they are. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, yeah. There was, uh, when they first did the Blue Planet, remember all those years ago the, the blue planet and they'd started doing those video diaries afterwards it's like those people are so patient aren't they absolutely yeah. sitting them in the mountains for months on end waiting for that for that shot and then i thought i got to kind of 35 and i thought oh, i quite fancy that now yeah you know it sounds like quite a good lifestyle just sitting in the mountains waiting yes i, quite like that. I, I was one of the photos um that i saw hellbent um by david Surname. He's definitely got a surname. He's got too many letters in it for me to to attempt right now. But um, it's uh, I just love it because it's a salamander, and it's called it's a hellbender salamander with a northern water snake in its jaws. And um, if if you if you've ever seen How to Train a Dragon, <laughs> you know where they got it from because these salamanders just look like dragons. They're it looks amazing. like toothless. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, love it. Uh, the, I, I just have to mention this one, then we'll we'll, we'll we'll move on from this. There's a thing called a mud rolling mud dauber, and you might think, well, you know, 
he's drawn the short straw. (laughs) Jobs were given out for for creatures, but it's a. I I believe it's a kind of wasp. It's a. It looks. It looks like a wasp, and uh, the person who took the picture, somebody called uh, Georgina uh, Stetler or Stetler, um, in uh, and this was in uh, West Western Australia. uh, um, She she. Uh, got right down to their level, so very, very close to the water, where they were picking up uh, lumps of mud and then sort of flying off with them, presumably, to put them in a nest. Absolutely beautiful picture. So uh, if you wonder what we're talking about, go to the wildlife photographer of the... Just Google wildlife photographer of the year. Uh, The BBC's got the pictures up on its science and environment um, site, and uh, they are just absolutely beautiful. And hopefully um, it will inspire uh, lots of people to uh, go out and just take some wildlife pictures. Yeah, and you can actually see the wildlife photographer of the year full exhibition at the M show. Um, from the 20th of October which was last Saturday all the way up until the 24th of February and it really is great it's about five or six pounds to go and see it and it's a really really nice little day out or you can go to London and see it for loads more you can see it for London for about three times the price (laughs) (laughs) so um, I actually know somebody who comes to Bristol to see it here because then they can have a day out in Bristol and not pay the extortionate price in the other thing you're doing is just live here, right? Because it's the <laughs> best city. That, that is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's have, let's move on. Have a, a look at another uh, story, which is now. This is interesting. The Guardian picked pick this up. Um, apparently, there is some research which suggests that in countries where smacking children is banned, are safer to grow up in. In other words, there's less violence in society. Um, in general, in countries where uh, it is illegal to uh, smack children. Um, and, uh, well, it's in, I, I, Jamie, this is not your... I, I know you're a neuroscientist, but this is sort of more social psychology than, uh, than neuroscience. But, I mean, what do, you, what do you make of this? I mean, I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? So we know that people exposed to violence from a young age almost have a different sort of barometer for violence in adulthood Um, and if they've not been smacked as children they don't think of smacking as something that's normal for somebody to do and therefore grow up to not have that violence normalized so it it makes good sense so you know um, and I think it's such a important study that does show you know I think when the bans on corporal punishment in the home were brought in people were reluctant people thought their children would get out of hand and you can see you know i can't remember how many years it's been it's probably been about three or four decades since this has been in place but they're actually seeing scientific evidence that the amount of violence has been reduced so yeah. i mean from a social psychology point of view it just shows that that well, th- these things work well, I guess as well, what you're saying, I mean, it's, it's, it's just putting this in, an, in another way, what you're teaching a child, if you hit a child uh, and say, you know, that was bad, don't do that, and you hit them, what you're saying is the way you solve problems and have influence with people is you use, you use violence. You're actually teaching that directly, aren't you? Yeah. So when they become, when they grow up and they become, um, uh, they want to solve problems or they are frustrated with somebody else's behaviour, then... 
the most natural thing for them to do is to resort to violence. Yeah, when they want somebody to see their perspective and do something their way, they resort to the same way that they've been treated. So it's absolutely right. It always makes me... Oh, it doesn't always, because I've only just read it. But it makes me think of, you know, those people... uh, It was something that I heard people saying a lot when I was growing up as a man growing up boy yeah that you know you got to knock some sense into him show him that he's he's you know he's got to be able to deal with the world when he grows up so you've got to show him you know build some strength into himself actually that's not true what you're doing is creating more of the problem yes by knocking absolutely yeah. yeah so this is uh, uh, a story written up in the journal bmj open uh, as researchers in canada the u.s and uh, Israel uh, surveyed um, many schools in 88 countries between 2003 and 2014 and uh, analysed the data. I think the most alarming thing about this story is that actually in England we it's not completely banned um, and it absolutely should be. Apparently in Scotland and Wales parents absolutely cannot smack their children and they're petitioning for this to be a complete law um, and all the evidence suggests it should be so it's quite frightening to think that that there's a level of punishment considered reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what is reasonable force on a child? I, I would say there is no reasonable no force. force at all. Yeah, that's the amount of reason. Not to yeah. be confused, of course, that sometimes you have to stop a child doing something. You mm. physically grab them, stop them running into the street and mm. that kind of thing, which is quite different from yeah. inflicting violence on them. I'll tell you something I find incredibly upsetting is you go into a supermarket or something and you see somebody screaming and shouting at a at a small child, or any, horrible, any child, or anyone, it, it, because I, I, I think that you know that's also a form of violence, isn't it? You know, I know there's some people thinking, "Oh, you are really just so <laughs> soft," um, but I think it's true that that, that uh, if you teach children that to be violent, either mentally, uh, emotionally, or physically. Um, uh, then all you're doing is storing up problems for the for the future. I think I think a lot of the argument you hear quite often among people who are in favour of, of violence towards children is uh, it was all right for me. Didn't never did me any harm. Yes. And I'd just like to say to those people, just just think about if it did actually do you any harm. Just have yeah. a think about whether you might be slightly happier, slightly a better adjusted person if that hadn't happened. <laughs> Well said, Warren. Yeah. It, it, it's what it's what happens. So it's the same same story, same kind of story. Do you know why I don't know about this? It's because I see the title of Star is Born, and mm. then I realise it's not about astronomy. And yeah, I switch off. And and switch <laughs> off. <laughs> the but, disappointment is so vast. <laughs> but, but, Can't but, give it any time. But, but, but of course, we have to say that there are other things in life as well. Yes, as astronomy, there we are. wouldn't. Want, we wouldn't. There's also science fiction of it. Yes. <laughs> We, 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 wouldn't got, we wouldn't want to give the impression that there's only science in life and astronomy. Um, so uh, one of the other stories we're looking at, says Matt McGrath uh, wrote this up in the, uh, again, this is from uh, the BBC site, but it's in various places. There's a thing called the flexitarian diet. And uh, apparently uh, some people are touting this as a key to feeding people in a a warming world. In other words, so this is not only going to help you uh, lose weight and get get control of your body shape or whatever it is that you want to uh, want to do, but it's also good for the planet. And uh, according to this, it means eating mainly plant based foods. And it's one of the key 
one of the three key steps towards a sustainable future for all in 2050. Um, and of course, um, we're reminding ourselves now that uh, the um, IPCC um, from the U United Nations, the um, Intergovernmental Panet, Panet, <laughs> of Strawberries, the Intergovernmental uh, <laughs> Panel on Climate Change uh, put out uh, a report uh, last week, beginning of last week, and uh, people are going, whoa, that's that's incredibly radical. We've got to sort ourselves out. We've got about 15 years, in yeah. fact, 12 years to sort ourselves out, 20 at the absolute outside, uh, before we have runaway uh, global warming conditions. Have, have all the uh, governments rushed to... They have, doing? yeah. They've rushed. Everybody's changing their policy oh, immediately. That's now, I, d I probably... I may have said this on the show last week, and I apologise if I have, but I may have said it privately. I'd be careful this, but I, I don't know what you guys think. It's just an aside before we talk about, about this diet and just talking about the climate change thing. I think one of the problems... that I am a Democrat in the sense that I believe in democracy. I strongly believe in democracy, and I strongly believe in representation of everybody. But I think one of the big problems with um, the democratic system which I do not want to get rid of, but one of the big problems with it is that it makes things like this really hard mm. because what politicians do is they go, oh, well, I'm just going to say all the popular stuff. Mm. Uh, I don't want to make people's lives uncomfortable. I don't want them voting me out of office. Mm. And, of course, in a democracy, what um, uh, uh, political parties have to do is agree with every other political party, or at least the major ones, that this is going to be the policy, mm -hmm. whoever's in power. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the public goes, oh, you know, you, you're taxing me more, or you're not letting me drive enough, or whatever it is, and they vote them out. I was, I was talking to somebody else earlier about this, and I, I just, I've got a, scientific, a sorry, science fiction idea, I think. Of course you have. Yeah, <laughs> which is that we should have, <laughs> this is going to be really controversial, I think. We just have one person person who's the strategic head of climate change strategy for the whole planet <laughs> and yes. they have a strategy which is built on the science right it's built yeah. on the observations that we can make yeah demonstrate what's happening and how we can change it and all the governments have to put their proposals to this person <laughs> he's called david attenborough right? <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. well, i was wondering who you were going to nominate for this role uh, <laughs> and, and, and if they if it's not good enough they're just told no go away start again you can't do it, it doesn't fit with the strategy we've got to look after the planet and that's that's the thing that we do the other thing I think dem democratically we should do is we should have a vote on everything. And as soon as we get to 52%, that's it decided forever. We cannot change our minds. <laughs> Brit, well, you heard it here first. You heard it here on Love and Science. Um, so uh, back, back to the diet itself. I'd, uh, I'd understood Mediterranean diets were the thing. So, yeah, so for years and years we've known that Mediterranean diets are well known to be the healthiest of all the diets, and they happen to be largely plant-based, but with some dairy, some animal products. And some a gold wire? Yeah. Cigarette? <laughs> Potentially <laughs> not the cigarette. Oh, no, all oh, right, oh, sorry, yeah. I misspoke there. Um, yeah. But they're known to um, reduce incidence of diabetes, improve cardiac health, improve all the kinds of problems associated with obesity and what they're saying here is the flexitarian diet is is somewhat like the mediterranean diet but they're calling it something different 
in that it's largely plant-based and all they're asking is instead of sticking to a particular type of food that people just reduce their consumption of animal products and replace it with more plant-based foods so then what they're saying is not everybody has to be vegan not everybody even has to be vegetarian just some people need to cut down their meat intake and that could half um, global carbon emissions yeah. which is incredible yeah it's so described as casual vegetarianism that's, yeah. that's pretty good. I reckon Bristol could be sold on that, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bristol is the place to be sold on. <laughs> I mean, so I'm a lifetime vegetarian. I've been vegetarian my whole life, yeah. as that suggests. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I Ask my son. What, my, my son once claimed to be a vegetarian. I said, uh, this is when he was quite young, and I, and, and I said, but you had a bacon sandwich this morning. He said, well, I'm a meat-eating vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> he quite quite got what that was. Well, I mean, it's been great for me since I moved to Bristol because I actually have no problems. I've I've gained a lot of weight because the vegetarian food here is fantastic. <laughs> I've never been spoiled for choice like this before. <laughs> uh, we and we're joined by uh, John. Hi, John Ford. Hello. Hi, John. Great, great to have you. Don't forget to stay tuned because uh, after the news, we've got John Ford who's getting Bristol home. It's always great to see him. So, um, uh, are you a, are you a big dieter? John, you managed to maintain your weight exactly the same all uh, the time? No, you got over the, uh, the last uh, four months I've lost two stone. Have you? Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, I have to say, if, if you were overweight, you carry it well, because I'd never noticed that. Um, well, it's the muscle. <laughs> I, well, I guess that I could see yeah. your your your, your well tell. Well, congratulations on losing two stone. That's yeah, no, and all done for health reasons. No other reason than that. Yeah, yeah no, just yeah. just sensible diet and and fitness as well. Yeah. Exercise. Yeah, and I'm not a vegetarian. No, no. Well, I yeah. I know why you came in here now, just to tell us what we didn't include in the show. Well, exactly. Um, I I noticed actually most of you are paperless, aren't you? Although you do print out your running orders and and what have you, but you're mostly yeah. using screens and so. Yeah, on. yeah, we are. Which is a shame, really, because. Um, this day in 1938, xerography um, was invented. In other words, the Xerox. So actually, say happy birthday to the photocopy. Uh, oh. Born this day in 1938, yeah, um, invented by a bloke called Chester Carlson. Invented for photographing bottoms at parties. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Have you ever done that? No. I don't, and I don't know anybody who ever has. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet. Um, anyone ever jumped out of an aeroplane? Parachuting? No. no. Uh, this day in 1797, the first successful parachute jump was made by a French fella called uh, André Jacques Garnin. Uh, he was released from a, a hot air balloon. He was also the first person to go in a, a tethered hot air balloon, uh, which oh. was our fact last week that we missed out on because we ran out of time. Yeah. Good grief. Well, fa- the uh, Parc Monceau in Paris. Well, we're going to have to put all that right, John. Thanks for uh, telling us that. Don't forget to stay uh, tuned uh, for John Ford getting Bristol home after this. It's been our pleasure. Jamie Thakrar, Andrew Gleston, me, Malcolm Love. Thank you for joining us for Love and Science. Uh, come again next week and have yourselves a very good evening. <laughs>